0: Today we look at one of the greatest dangers in the church, both in the past and in the present. Hi, welcome to Grade Your Faith. I'm Luke Gradless, and this is our bite-sized Bible study that's taking us through the book of James. We find ourselves today in James chapter four. As always, my prayer for you is that this is not the totality of your study in the word, but that this serves as a catalyst that gets you reading, Praying, meditating, researching, and doing your own deep dive with the Lord into this wonderful and beautiful book. Let's jump right into the text and then break down what it has to say. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason? The scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother, criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The beginning of James chapter 4 draws attention to one of the most dangerous conflicts in the church. And it's not just a conflict within the church, it's a conflict within ourselves. And it's this desire that we have to put God, to put Christ into the wrong role in our lives. See, many of us who come to Christ, we want to still maintain lordship of our own lives. And so if you listen to a lot of modern day preaching, what you hear is this idea of Jesus being your consultant or your buddy or your friend. And the idea is is that you have your life with your goals and your focus and your desires and your passions, but maybe just maybe you find some of those things are, are in the wrong place or they're lacking or that there's still gaps in your life. And so what you do is you come to church and you find Jesus and you add a little Jesus to your life and he fills the gaps. And there's a lot of this mentality that is within the church. The problem is that mentality is completely unbiblical, right? Now, what he describes is, is that he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth to die on a cross, not to pay for his sins, but to pay for ours. And that through his death and resurrection, you and I are offered the opportunity to a new life. A new life that no longer is beholden to sin. A new life that has the opportunity to overcome death through the strength, the power, the love, and the blood of Jesus Christ. But what that new life is, is not one where I or you lead the way. It is one where we are the servant, he is the master, and we follow him day in and day out. And so what he draws attention to here is the fact that when you look at the church, especially the church that's being addressed in this book, is there's these conflicts and there's these fights because within the church, there are those brothers and sisters who have not given over lordship of their life to Jesus Christ, but instead are driven by worldly desires. They still want the things that this world has to offer. And because of that, they are double-minded, they are split. The scripture tells us a house divided against itself cannot stand. And that's what these people are. They claim to be of the kingdom of God, yet still pursue and live and cherish and desire the things of this world. And brothers and sisters, this is something we have to take seriously. I I was reading uh, some research the other day, and it said that 75% of those who proclaim themselves to be Christians have no idea what the Great Commission is. Do you understand that 75% of people who raise their own hand and say, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, 75% of them don't know what the Great Commission is. They don't realize that Jesus asked them to go out into the world and to make disciples. And and that's what's being called out here is that there's these people within the church that don't understand. And, And the anger and wrath that God has for that is high. He calls them adulteresses don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards god right you can't have one foot in each camp there is no such thing as a worldly christian yes we may sin yes we may fail yes we may be tempted and pulled to those things from time to time but there is a clear moment in our lives where we have died to the life that is embedded in this world and we have risen anew built a new life in Christ that is about the kingdom and if that hasn't happened then we don't understand the gospel and we still have some serious work that needs to be done in our relationship with God see brothers and sisters why many of us get sucked into this why we fall trapped to being double-minded is is that God's brilliant he's perfect so, when God talks about marriage, when he talks about wealth, when he talks about raising your children, when he talks about passion, when he talks about anything, his wisdom is brilliant. It is good. It is fruitful. And so many people have come to Christ not for Christ, but for the things that he can give them. And when we are more in love with the stuff that Jesus offers than he himself, we're missing the boat. The passion of our lives is not the stuff, it's him. We want to be with him. That's why it says in the 23rd Psalm, right? Whether we're in the green pastures by the still waters or we are in the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't matter if we are with him. That's the point, we're with him. So don't be double-minded pursuing both things and the Lord. Go after the Lord with everything that you have. It's interesting what he says in verse nine. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and then he will exalt you. And this is something we just don't want to talk about anymore. But the reason there is beauty in talking to sin is that yes, the initial reaction of understanding the sin that we have in our lives is to do exactly these things, right? To take away this foolish laughter, get rid of it and make us weep, make us mourn make us sad with the guilt and the darkness and the sin in our lives, right? There is that half to it. But what's beautiful about once you realize where you truly stand today and you mourn where you stand without Christ, it is exactly that which opens your eyes to the unbelievable gift that he offers you and the unbelievable Lord that he is, right? It's only once you realize you need to be saved that you truly cherish what the Savior has come to do. Then look what he says. He turns his attention right from this vertical relationship with God to now also thinking about our relationship horizontally with other believers. And he says, don't criticize one another, brothers. And again, we see this thing that we've seen throughout the book of James, the danger of our words, the danger of our tongues. And what he isn't saying here is, is that if you and I see a brother or a sister doing something that is against the word of God, that we shouldn't call that out. No, we we can look at the totality of scripture and see that that is absolutely something we're supposed to do. This is talking about how we have a tendency to raise our own boat by lowering the boats of everybody else, right? We criticize, we put down, we pick apart people. And we do that not only because it's easy, but also because as we do it, it makes us feel better about ourselves. And what he's saying is that is not the behavior of the children of God. It's not what we do. Then look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good and doesn't do it. And so while this may seem like a simple statement, there's a huge acknowledgement being made here. And that acknowledgement is our lives as servants of God, we are always acknowledging that I don't really know what tomorrow holds. And I I, I have some ideas of things I think I want to do. Some things I think God has put me here for. Some directions that I think make sense. But as a servant of God, I humbly await the direction of my master. And if at any point he wants to point me to a new direction, if at any point he has a completely different plan than anything I ever had thought of, I will gladly drop whatever I was holding to run to where he is. And what's being asked for here is a mentality in our lives that acknowledges that day in and day out. That acknowledges I shouldn't get too set in my own plans and in my own dreams. What really my dream should be is to pursue the path that God has paved for me. And that should be the focus and the passion of my life. And brothers and sisters, that's a beautiful thing because, one, if you try to hold on to the game plan yourself, (laughs) you won't be able to. And if you don't believe me, just look at 2020. I think of all the things that have happened over the last year, 18 months, most of us sitting in February would have never thought those things were going to happen. But they did. So many people's dreams and plans crumbled. And the second reason is not only can you not make your plans happen, but the more beautiful part is, is that God's plans are always better than yours. For God's plans stand against the test of time. In God's plans, when we deliver ourselves into them, and we say, God, use me as an instrument in your hands, he uses us to do things that stand for eternity and that save souls and that change the world. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me today. I hope you have a great day. I hope God uses you. I hope God blesses you. And I hope we get to see you again soon.